So yeah, with art itself, Chris, like, was there, and I know you've gone on record and said that you got into it in an early age and always was intrigued by it, but was there ever a particular moment or a particular person in your life that kind of gravitated you towards art to try it out yourself? Um, well, I guess so. I had a cousin that was very good at drawing, though he ended up being a, you know, Wall Street uh, businessman in New York. And then I had an uncle that worked at a publicist kind of business. And once I went to his office and it was like full of stickers and keychains and posters and it was all based on cartoons. And I was like, wow, this is so fun and amazing. Um, So, yeah, but I was always a creative kid. I always had this urge of making things. May it be like little books or drawing or junk robots or uh, towers and castles made out of tires or I don't know I really liked making things and uh, yeah I never stopped I guess I wasn't so much into sports as the rest of the kids in my school here in Peru and I'm happy I followed that path because my life is pretty fun now <laughs> yeah now you get to do what you like and with the other aspect of your childhood you've said many times that you also had a big passion early on and still do for skateboarding so like was that always a hobby of yours or was there ever actually a time in your life growing up that you kind of were thinking okay maybe actually might pursue skateboarding a bit more than I would painting or was the artistic blood in you always at the forefront of your mind growing up well um Yeah, I started skateboarding at age eight. So I guess before age eight, I was playing with other things, the, you know, action figures and toys and, you know, maybe surfing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I never really stopped skateboarding. Whoops, that's my alarm. (laughs) Uh, I never stopped skateboarding. I uh, just kind of like, it had different shapes. For example, in the 80s was all about going to the skate park and going down ramps and uh, then in the 90s it was all about street skating so you go out in the streets and you find some stairs or you find a ledge it was more about like skating in the urban landscape and that was already once I moved to Canada and now that I'm in my 40s I'm back at ramps you know I'm all about mini ramps though I can still street like street skate but my knees are not amazing. I'm not jumping any stairs and I got nothing to prove. Uh, so <laughs> it just changes kind of like, uh, you know, modalities and, you know, it's not at the forefront of my existence. It's just kind of like a, you know, a fun companion to my life that, that has flavored a lot of my art, but, uh, yeah, I guess self-expression in any kind is at the forefront of my life. I suppose I'd I'd probably get a bit of stick off some of my friends if I didn't ask. I'm currently back with my skateboard that I've been gathering dust for several years now. And I'm just wondering, I'm struggling with the kickflip. I've, I've got the ollie back pretty well. Do you have any tips, any pointers on how to land a kickflip? Because I've almost, I've almost oh, broke my man. ankle about five times this week. Oh, man. The kickflip's a bitch because you can get it yeah. and then you're like, hey, I got it. And then like a week will go by and you lost it again. And you got to always, I don't even try it anymore. Cause you know, once again, it's, uh, if I was to get it, it's kind of like I'm standing in a position and I'm trying to do this thing over and over. I, I just kind of put like my foot, uh, my l- left foot 
to the left side of the tail and my right foot on the top right side under where the wheel should be and I try to do an ollie and hope that the board will do it. I guess if I if I went out right now and I try to do it for a couple hours, I would land a kickflip. But once again, like if, if it becomes this like ordeal of a homework, I'd rather just kind of like go down a ramp and do a nice turn, which maybe is less impressive, but it feels good and I can actually do it without thinking too much. <laughs> Yeah, no, well said, well said. But I'll keep note of that next time I go out and give that kickflip a go with my uh, yeah, lack of bravery, that, so to speak. <laughs> What's your age? I'm uh, 25, so the knees aren't uh, that bad just yet. So I still have a yeah, bit of life left in me. You're super young. Yeah, you should still like yeah. you know hurt yourself quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and getting back to the Chris and not that like even from reading about yourself and even other people in the art industry, a lot of people, as you said, it's about self-expression. It's not so much about your reputation or how much your art is deemed valued by other people. But like at what stage, because you started off, as you said, getting into it at an early age, like at what moment did you suddenly realize, okay, I'm pretty good at this. A lot of people seem to like what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to preach, what I'm drawn like, was there a particular moment where you sold maybe one of your paintings for what people would consider decent money? Was there someone who talked to you and said, listen, you've got a real talent at this. You need to really take it maybe a step or two seriously. Was there a moment like that that geared you full-fledged towards the kind of artistic ways and putting your effort into that? Right. Well, I always... I was always an artist that was just kind of like the software that came through me but I never really thought like oh I have to live from this as a kid I wanted to be different things and I wanted to be a mad scientist kind of like back to the future style doc brown kind of mode and i also wanted to be a diplomat because that sounded like oh i can go to all these fancy parties with rich people and eat good food and be in power stupid kids shit you know because the adults tell you like hey like being happy is making all this money so if you're a scientist or a diplomat you'll make money and then you win at life um but then the thing is, I wasn't very good at being a diplomat. I'd fight with everybody, and I was—I sucked at science. <laughs> so, so then I was like, "Oh man, I should do these things that I actually hate." And uh, you know, even if there's no money, even though like I'll make less money, but the thing that I was always good at was art. Like art was the class that I always had good grades on and i was the best in the class it was clear that i was good at that and then on my last year of school in peru age 16 um i used to do a lot of comic books uh based on my friends and on on my surf team that i had at the time and people loved it you know like i became kind of popular in my nerdy kind of way because i was drawing all my friends mm. and all the adventures we would have so then i'm like oh man like i want to keep on doing this thing that makes people happy and makes them like me so the plan was always that i was going to go to canada at age 17 and i had to pick a career so i was like oh i want to be an animator i want to go to canada i want to learn how to animate and i want to make my cartoons into a real tv show so i guess age 16 i was already clear i wanted to be some kind of artist and then once I moved to Ottawa, Canada, and lived with my grandmother for four years, I wanted to go into animation school, but I wasn't good enough at art to get in them, uh, or at least the kind of art they think that I should be. I was good at cartoony kind of art, but I wasn't good at 
realism and, and all the anatomy and all that stuff. So I say like, go to fine art school, get good at drawing and then come back and we will, you know, teach you how to animate. But then I got into fine arts and, uh, and one, uh, trip we had with our class we went to an animation studio and it just looked like such a boring horrible job you know you're just drawing and drawing and drawing things for other people because you'll be lucky if it's your concept the one that gets animated and they're just not sleeping it just seemed like really not fun at all so then i was like i'm actually having a lot of fun doing these paintings and expressing myself through sculpture and drawings there's just so many mediums you can do in fine art so i just kept on doing fine art and i went to two other schools after that and yeah i, I learned illustration i learned uh just different aspects of art you know both commercial and and just expressionist and i do a lot of things in the career that i drive these days you know i can do a skateboard graphic i can do a mural i can do a painting i can do a sculpture uh i can do a logo a graphic so there's many things i can do which is fun because if i was only doing the same thing all the time every day that would be boring too so yeah that's kind of how mm. i got into it <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it and i suppose you could compare it to maybe an actor or even say a musician, they need to kind of, if they're taking it seriously, decide in a genre, how they're going to present themselves. So like when you say started to kind of get a bit more recognition, like obviously now many people would know you for your maybe psychedelic type style art or maybe your spiritual side of the art. But as you mentioned there, there's so many different ways and different forms of art. Um, like was there ever a moment where, you kind of were like, I really need to focus on one thing. Are we just so kind of expressive and kind of keen to try out all these different methods and kind of types of art that you just gradually kept doing loads of things. And then eventually the further you went into your career, you kind of narrowed it down a little bit where kind of some of your main pieces would be more or less the same or kind of similar, similar vibes. Yeah. Well, there was definitely years for exploration and there were years for different projects. Like there's a lot of things I want to do. There's still things I want to do that I haven't done yet. Um, but definitely if you keep on digging many wells, you'll have harder time striking water. So you have to focus on one thing at a time. Um, uh, when I first got out of school, for me, that was the time to do skateboard art. So I was doing a lot of art on broken skateboards, uh, but that was also my time for exploration, stylistically speaking. So I was like, now I'm going to just try different mediums. Like I tried it all in college. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. This alarm that's no, ringing, you're good, you're good. and I'm going to turn it off, is the alarm that I put for uh, us to do this interview it's like at 4 30 you gotta be ready to do this interview <laughs> so yeah uh, turning it off anyways let me go back into it so basically that first few years doing skateboard art was my chance to try different styles different mediums i had tried different mediums in uh in college but now it was a time to like kind of like mix them up and do new things and they were you know, from those first few shows that I did, there were a couple of styles where I'm like, oh, wow, this is very like different, unique. And I can see people really like it. So it's popular. So may I keep on pulling the thread on this. And then this pile of melted Crayola didn't really do much and it looks ugly and let's scrap that out. So <laughs> definitely there was a period for trying many things and nailing down what did work and then developing that. Um, 
that said, it doesn't mean like, oh, I found what works and let's do that till it's dead and how boring would my art be? No, you always keep on exploring. You always keep on trying new things. You always try to develop new language of self-expression. You always try to learn new, new mediums and how to mix the mediums and how to mix the styles. You always want to stay fresh and interesting. You don't want to just be that kind of artist. I found one thing that worked. And just does it over and over and over again like that's totally boring and it's not even like honest because you said that thing when it had to be said and yeah it was popular but are you gonna say the same thing over and over again like do you always have the same thing to say every day for the rest of your life no you switch it up because you grow as a person and in that growing you got new things to express and sometimes your style might change to a style that's less popular. But if if you got to be honestly saying something in a different way, that's very valuable too, you know? As an artist, you have to take yeah. risks. Uh, you know, like look at Picasso. He went from realism to cubism. And at the beginning, they might have been like, what the fuck? Like how come he fucked up his style and he's doing some weird things? But because he had the balls mm. to do something different, he came up with a whole new movement for the art world. So, you know, we all, we should all have those kinds of Picasso balls and, you know, trying to find new avenues in art for self-expression and saying new things because, you know, it seems like everything's being done. So <laughs> uh, it's kind of tough for the artist to be original these days. So if you can be original and continue to be original, and I think that's the best thing you can do as a uh, self-expressive person. Yeah. Well, like to be fair kind of from a outsider looking in on the art industry like it does seem that you do have quite a distinct style so as you said it may be be tough like be quite tough and challenging to stand out or make yourself unique because as you said more or less everything's been done um in some people's eyes anyway and like as you want to say maybe compared to a big say band that she keeps torn doing their greatest hits, but they haven't released a good album in 20 plus years, but they still play the same old, same old. So it was kind of refreshing to hear that you just want to keep kind of not reinventing yourself, but staying fresh, trying new things that may or may not be popular. And right. One of the things, and a few people did ask me about it is, and it's kind of, unless I'd say you're an expert in the field or within the industry of art, like, is there a certain stage or is there a certain criteria or method? Because, like, there was, must have been a stage where it went from being you being creative to suddenly you realizing, okay, there's actually a substantial amount of money to my art if I was to sell it. And, like, how does one get to that stage? Do you simply have to build up a reputation like, say, a musician would? Or is it quite simply someone might look at that and go, that is a really impressive piece of art. I'm willing to spend maybe more than the average man or woman would. Or is it basically you need to build up your reputation to a point where people identify your name and then also with the art? Well, there's many answers to that. And really, it's up to the intention and desire of the artist of what they want. Um you, if you do like to succeed in the world of art, I always recommend my students because I teach workshops to go to the bigger cities. You know, like you want to be a big artist, go to to New York, to LA, and then you can play in the bigger leagues. Uh, ideally, I'd like to think that art blows up because it's just so undeniably amazing in every single way, from style, uniqueness, technique, subject matter, etc. 
it's so undeniably good, then you just blow up and people pay you the big bucks. But in reality, though that also happens, in reality, um, it's all about connections. You know, if you're in the big city and you're down with all the, you know, the publisher of the big mag that tells all the readers that this is a new hot artist, you might get to the top in one step which sounds very boring to me and very unfulfilling and fake. But uh, there's mm. a lot of artists who are out there like who are very successful and make tons of money. And it's because the uh, establishment, the gatekeepers are telling the viewers who are pretty clueless what is good and what's not good. Um, so you could play that game. Uh, I always decided I wanted to live in Montreal as a city I enjoy to live. I got a good quality of life. I have fun. I have friends. I was tempted to move into California at one point, but still I was like, no, I like living in Canada. I don't want to live in the States. So I might have sacrificed a little bit of uh, success in my career because I stayed in a quote unquote smaller city. But I travel enough I, I'm successful enough. That's the thing. Do we, we all have to be like the kings of our scenes or could we just have like our little Nietzsche uh, niche uh, following and sell enough to pay, you know, the abundant lives that we all have? Because we all have abundant lives no, lives, no matter what, you know, like sure, there's people who are more rich and sure there's artists that live in mansions, but do we all need to go that, that big or should we just, you know, be sustained in our particular abundance and then just have a nice chill life. You know, that's the thing. It's all about like where your ambition is at, where your ego is at, where your concept of what is success and what isn't success. You know, like the more success I've achieved in my career, the more I find I'm kind of chasing my tail about something that doesn't really matter, like impressing people. It's like, look what I've accomplished, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, okay, cool. But you know, what are, what are, what are you after? What's your goal? What's your happiness? I guess being chilled out and laying in the beach and having some sun in my face and me like, ah, I made it. Okay, Chris. Okay, Ego. Are you satisfied? Is it all good? Can you pay all your bills? Are you abundant? Yes. Okay, now just chill the fuck out and do whatever the fuck you want. You know, like, I think that's success. Yeah. You know? Doing whatever you want, even if the art's ugly. If that's what you want to do it, do it, you know? But for that, you got to kind of like sell enough paintings or products or whatever. And there's way to doing that, especially in these days of social media. You could just be popular on social media. You don't have to go to the galleries or the museums or the magazines and the gatekeepers anymore because the people just might like your art because it's rad. And that's kind of like what happened to me, you know, like social media helped me reach straight to the people, helped me find the clients without the gatekeepers. And I sell enough stuff that I can kind of like do what I prefer. Always delivering medicine, hopefully to my community, because that's also a, a role that I assign to myself because mm -hmm. art should be medicine to heal the world, but also to be free and to be happy, whatever that means to me. So yeah, I hope I answered that question. It did pretty extensively. So thank you for that, Chris. And like, it's an interesting point you make about social media and you can put that into many different ways of life and jobs and how that can speed the process up. And as you said, you then don't have to deal with maybe some of the bullshit that may 
happen if social media, if say this was 10, 15 years ago, you may have to go through agencies, you may have to go through different museums or get your place shown in different cities to get your rep out. Well, now you can grow it online and not have to deal with anyone, but maybe yourself. So it is definitely something that is definitely valuable to hear as a listener, but also understand about the industry. And just with regards to us, say the art industry itself, like, is there anything you kind of look at and like it's the same with say sports or the music industry? Is there anything you'd like to see maybe change over the next few years about us, maybe for better or worse? Um, I just don't really care what they do. The, you know, the system will do what the system will do. That what 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 I'm doing is what I'm doing in my life, and whatever they choose, whoever artist they choose to make the best artist or the relevant one or the one that makes more money, it doesn't matter to me. That's not my life. That's their life. That's their world. And I found my own uh, world following jobs, platform. And the whole thing with social media doesn't mean like just because there's social media, you're guaranteed to make it. That's a game in itself. And there's a lot of bullshit in there too. There's so many artists that are not amazing that are just good at making posts and they do amazing. So they figure out that video game and that's fine too. And that's none of my business or my problem or anything I should lose sleep on. The only thing I'm responsible for is myself, really, my own career and finding my own ways. And I've tried a million things and this thing worked for me. So I keep on doing it. And if that stops working at one point, I, I will explore other ways of getting my art out there. Um, so I don't really care what the, what the scene or the system is doing. That's, that's for them. And, you know, I guess if I had to make one request is like, I would love if art with more substance would be the kind of art that the gatekeepers would, um, pass on to the world. Because as I said before, art can be a medicine and this world's fucking sick. This world's sick. We got our priorities upside down. So selling art that's just cool looking but says nothing, that that should – I'm not saying that should not be sustained, but that should be less of a priority. I think art that is here to give a message that makes the world a better place in any kind of way, may it be uh, from the activist points of view or uh, visionary art that's kind of trying to give blueprints to our spiritual ascension – I think that's the kind of art that should be highlighted a little bit more. So I'd say the social kind of art, the activism art is getting more uh, accepted and promoted because we're we're getting into a very politically correct world. And it's a good look for museums and galleries to support like the the new artists with different uh, messages that support minorities or whatever. But still, the visionary art scene, the art scene that promotes positive spirituality of no particular religion as a path to mature together as a human race, that's a not very supported kind of art form. Like you'll never see it at the MoMA or at any of the big museums. They will never put 
Alex Gray paintings. They, they, they have bought Alex Gray paintings and they have it in the back just in case that movement goes big and then they'll be like, oh, we got the painting. But they're not actually putting it out there be like, hey, look at this painting showing how the electricity and energy of a person works in conjunction to somebody else's. And now that we see ourselves as spiritual beings, can we start being nicer to each other perhaps? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> so I would love to ask the gatekeepers if they could uh, allow more positive spiritual art into the mainstream so people can receive the medicine they need in order for humanity to evolve. Okay. Well, well said. Yeah. And as I said, like it's like looking at most of your pieces, there's so many different themes to it, different interpretations as well. And that's very much what art sometimes is about to the viewer of it, how they interpret something, how they think about it, how they react to it. And, a kind of funny backstory for you, Chris, is about a year and a half ago, I remember seeing, and this is going to, I'll make a long story short. I remember seeing a, a cover for a phone and it was one of your drawings. It was the bad versus good drawn that you had all the supposed bad characters uh, alongside the good characters. And I remember I bought it and I remember thinking that's a pretty cool piece. And then it also got me thinking about how one maybe would suggest that someone on the good side could be actually on the bad side and vice versa. And that then obviously got me into your work and got me to look a bit deeper in it. But like even to take that for example, as a piece and as a painting, and like most of the people who I show it always say, geez, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool piece. So congratulations on that. It's not getting a negative press, so to speak, but as you said, you're not too fussed on that, but without getting sidetracked, like, how does the process go into say making a painting, a painting like bad versus good? Do you think of maybe an idea of, Oh yeah, let me get some of the bad guys and bad girls against the good guys and good girls. Or does it very much just come to you on the day? Um, that, that painting is a concept that I kind of had as a kid, as a, you know, as a young kid, it's like, Oh, wouldn't it be great to like, you know, bunch up like all the cats, like, Garfield and you know Felix the cat like I've always had this like you know my mind wants to organize everything so it's like oh and let's get all the dogs together let's get Odie and and you know all the cartoon dogs and so at one point I wanted to do that with just wise people and unwise people and that painting worked and then the uh, skate brand saw it and was like hey can you do it again but more in a shape of a skateboard so I, I did it so that two skateboards could be made out of it where one skater was the good guys and one skater was the bad guys that was the uh, the intention for that particular painting so I've only done that concept like a couple times and it was very popular because it's made out of pop popular characters pop characters like that's the whole thing mm. of pop art and why you know, like if if an artist wants to be popular, paint things that are already uh, um, beloved by the people. So that painting is a bunch of beloved characters that we all loved already. I just had to put them together. But in that way, it's less fulfilling to me because I didn't invent all those characters. You know, they've been invented mm-hmm. by a bunch of other artists and it's funny that I put them together and you can think about like what's good and evil or maybe we're all in the middle or blah 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 
so that was yeah it was all about a concept you know like ordering the good and the bad i'm very my art's very dualistic because i always have i'm a pisces i got two fishes swimming against each other and you know i'm always going back and forth between my good side and my bad side um but after i did that painting i never wanted to do it anymore because one when it was popular i always felt it was popular because people already liked the characters and two yeah. A lot of people got mad at me for choosing what character went on which side. Like a lot of people were like, oh, why do you put Andre the Giant on the bad side? It's like, well, do you see WrestleMania free? Or why do you put the Queen of England on the on the bad side? It's like, well, she's like, you know, one of the heads of the Illuminati. And why do you put Michael Jackson on the good side? It's like, well, I used to think that he was a good guy. Do you ever hear his songs, Heal the World or Man in the Mirror? Like I saw him as a person that, you know, wanted to make the world a better place. So, put them, so you know, everybody's got, because these are not my characters, they're owned by the collective in a way. And I might piss off a lot of people by uh, defining them in a way that's different than the way they define it. So after that, it's like, I'm going to make my own characters and I can make up whatever story about each one of them. And no one can tell me I'm doing a wrong thing because they don't really know what they're about and I can make up the story. So that's more the direction I want with my characters now. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, that's fair. As you said, getting, <clears throat> getting the political views and stuff like that out of your painting and just focus on what it was actually trying to achieve in the first place can often be difficult. And maybe if you fast forward to maybe some of your more recent work and like you can see there's a few illustrations of Bob Marley. He's obviously had a big effect on yourself. But then like even I remember like looking at, I think it was about four or five years ago, one of your pieces, I don't know if you can recall, um, like Charlie the Catnip Killer. Do you remember that piece? Right, yeah. The cat DJ. You want me to tell you about it? And then like, for, well, no, just like as in, then like if you compare that to some of your more recent work, which like, as I said, it's like there's some kind of similar themes with, say, if you compare that to the optimistic journey, the one where they're on the boat, as in like, mm -hmm. do you now recognize it as a certain theme are, is it very much, I will just paint what I want on that day and then also I'll try tell a story in that way? Are you very much just open-minded as to what it will be interpreted as, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, I got different styles. Um, the Bob Marley paintings, more realistic, illustrative. The Charlie the Catnip Killer is a little bit illustrative with a little bit of graphic. Uh Optimistic's journey is done kind of in my uh, street art style, which is more cartoony and graphic, but it's done as a painting. Um, so it's kind of like tighter than a mural because murals are done with spray paint, which is a difficult medium to control. Yeah. Um, and say like the painting I did this over this winter is a portrait of my shaman, which has graphic elements, but it has, has a realistic face. Then last year, the last two years, I was playing with a style where I was doing a bunch of spray paint drips and then drawing in them and shading it all, which gave it a totally different flavor. So, and when you're asking like, oh, you just draw or paint one day this way or paint a different way the other day, the thing is like my paintings are minimum take me a month. And say like a painting like Optimistic's Journey takes me kind of like a year 
or you know, mm. the one I did of my shaman took me three months this winter. So it's not like I wake up one one day and I'm like, today I'm painting like this. It's more like, okay, I got this to say. In the case of my shaman, like I really wanna uh, do a painting where my shaman is just shining and it's mystical power. So for that, I need to use this particular style and symbols in order to communicate that. Um, and uh, then other times I don't even know what I want to communicate and I'll let the painting be and I'll just follow the trail and then I find out what the painting's about so it really, yeah, it changes from day to day, month to month year to year and I hope, I hope it always changes because if I always did the same uh, steps to communicate myself it would get kind of stagnant as I said before yeah and was there ever a time you can think back and i'm sure there was but it just depends on how long is kind of what i'm getting at here with regards to did you ever invest so much into say a painting and maybe 80 percent, 90 percent, when you thought you were nearly completed and uh, nearly completing this did you just kind of look back and go this is not good or this is not what I'm trying to get across. Like, what, did you ever spend weeks or even months on a project only for maybe at the last moment to just have a U-turn and say, nah, this is not, this is not for me. No, I don't, I don't operate that way. I try you just to, go for it. I just try to make killer paintings from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, it starts with the drawing. If the drawing's not good in the sketchbook, then I probably won't be all like, oh, I should make a painting about this for the next couple of months. If the drawing looks bad on the sketchbook, then we're working with a bad foundation. So I try to get the, the drawing to look awesome in the sketchbook, even if it's just a sketch. And then I'm like, okay, this one's working out. And then you draw it properly, which is a process that sometimes takes weeks and then you want to get that drawing like killer, you know? So if the drawing mm. is killer, then painting it is just kind of like you're putting cherries on top. But then on top of it, you just kill the painting process. Then that, that painting ends up being great. And I don't ever want to do paintings that are not great. Like I'll never yeah. make myself happy or succeed in my career if I'm just putting paintings that are whatever. And then, you know, there's, there's just too many artists out there for me to like put out uh, subpar expressions. Plus I only live one life and life's not even that like long as I'm telling you, sometimes it'll take me like a whole year to do one painting. So I can't throw away a whole year by doing a painting. That's just not like the best painting I've done yet. Like my, my, my newest painting I hope is always like my best painting in some way. You know, even if it's just uh, the most original of them all or a painting that just took me in a new direction or, yeah, I don't know. I always try my best. You know, this is what I do. Like, I'm an artist. <laughs> I really want to do the best I, mm. I can at this thing. Okay, yeah. One of the last questions I'd like to ask you, Chris, is just like what was or what has been, whether it was off someone close to you or a quote-unquote um, celebrity or someone that is quite high up in other people's eyes, like what was the best compliment you've ever received through your work that really kind of, and I'm sure you maybe get this all the time, whether it's on social media, in person, etc. but was there ever a moment or an interaction with someone where they really complimented one of your paintings or your overall work and it made you not maybe think, oh, this is all worth it, but 
really made you grateful for being able to be in that position where you can create such paintings that have such an effect on an individual? Yeah, well, I'm resisting saying that a compliment has more worth because it comes from a person who's more famous or more praised. But I would be lying if I'd say it didn't mean anything to me when that happens. Um, so I had a big solo show in Miami during Miami Art Basel a couple years ago. I rented this warehouse and brought all of my original paintings to Miami. It was like a huge undertaking. I can't believe I even did that. And it was like, it was pretty huge. Uh, you know, at least for my level. And it was great. A lot of people came and might have sold a couple paintings and everybody loved it and everybody was happy and I was super stoked. But what really made it worth it for me is that artists that I respect, like Ron English and Alex Gray, came over to see the show. Um, just the fact that they would make the time and respected me enough to go and, and see what I was putting. But then once they were there, they really appreciated uh, my work. I'd say more emphasis on Alex Gray and his wife, Allison, because they've been mentors to me, you know, like I've been, I've known them for over 10 years and I've been uh, teaching workshops at their place in New York, Cosm for the last seven years. I was supposed to teach one at the end of this month, but then of course everything gets canceled. Um, so they came and they saw all my paintings. They, they were there for like two hours, you know, really taking it in and giving comments. And they've actually been to my apartment in Montreal too. So they've really, they're people I really look up to. They're people who do so well with their art and their movement. And uh, they honor me enough to come and look at my work and give me uh, words of support. You know, they appreciate what I do. And that for me is like the biggest reward I could have as an artist, you know, when the elders uh, come and, and, and validate, well, I hate the word validate or just appreciate what you're doing, mm. you know, as a younger artist, it's, it's really special. And yeah, I appreciate it. Completely get where you're coming from there, Chris. Even as you said, the fellow peers appreciate the work and it takes a lot of time to get to that place where the art is fully made and it's full and ready to be go, be put on show, I should say. And Chris, that more or less wraps up the main part of the podcast, but how I usually finish is with just a few quick fire questions, if that's all right. And I can yeah. fire them at you and then I can let you enjoy the rest of your evening in Peru. Where hopefully so the I really quickly. Well, as quick as you want. You don't have to. It's. I'm not going to judge you. It's not like a, a quiz show, but um, as quick as okay. you can, yeah. Okay, cool. So, your favorite painting you've ever made, and why? I can't ask answer that question. I'm sorry. Like you know, there's paintings that mean a lot to me, but uh, I can't just single out. It's like kind of like singling out your children. You know, like oh, my children. Older yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll rephrase perhaps your okay. favorite painting by another artist and why? Ooh. Oh, that's a tough one too, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Um, fuck. Well, it's, I, it's hard one to, that you just like, it doesn't have to be. One, but like I'd say a painting that really has humbled me, uh, that comes to mind is a, 
actually a classical painting is by uh, it's called a, the 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 lamb I think it's called it's a triptych by Van Eyck. I was skateboarding in Belgium. I used to go to Belgium a lot because I used to be married to a Belgian woman, and I was used to skate this uh, this closed down water. Uh, uh, anyways, I used to skateboard in front of this big church, and I would always see people going to this church and it was this beautiful from the outside and one day i was like ah oh, fuck it after skating let's let's go check it out and see what's inside there and at the end of it there was this big gigantic triptych like two stories high the sacrifice of the lamb that's its name by van eyck and i was like oh my god this is a painting it was like like 30 paintings in one beautifully done I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that's the level back in the day when all they did was paint all day long and they had assistants and there's just, you know, like huge, crazy frames. So yeah, that sticks in my mind a lot as a level that I'll probably never reach in my mind. But then there's another artist I really appreciate, Maddie Clark Wayne. He's the one who did the covers for Santana Braxas and Miles Davis' Bitches Brew. And he's done some paintings that I just can't believe have been done by a man, you know? There's just a lot out there. There's a lot of great art out there. I'm just super humbled and I'm happy that people even like my art. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a competition <laughs> game, you know? We all got different flavors. Yeah. And if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Hmm. Well... If I could travel back in time, really, and the thing is, I would like to travel back in time to a period that we're not certain even existed, but I like to believe that before humanity degraded into a lower consciousness of, you know, dumb caveman-like kind of mm, animalistic yeah. kind of creatures, that at one point we were actually a really wise culture that lived with love and peace and had a lot of really great technology, the kind of technology to maybe build pyramids that still we can't understand how they built that. It'd be great to go back to the time where humanity wasn't stupid yet. I think we're in that process where we're getting out of our stupidity. Um, we are growing up, we are maturing. Um, but uh, yeah, we're not there yet. So it'd be cool to check that out. Other than that, the 60s sounds pretty rad. But sounds, sounds cool. And um, your favorite film of all time. My favorite film of all time. Um, oh man, it's a big tie between the back to the future trilogy and the original star Wars trilogy. Um, yeah. And then there's this, uh, but as a single film, there's this film called This is the End, which is a bunch of amazing comedians. And it's like a post-apocalyptic film, but they're all acting as the actual actors themselves. I love that oh, movie. I've seen it. Yeah. Seen it's, it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely gas. It's brilliant. And one of the last ones here, a bit of an odd one, but some people like it. Uh, dogs or cats? Um, I'm a cat guy, definitely. Yeah. Uh, because growing up in Peru, dogs are gnarly, man. They bite you. I've been bitten many times by dogs. <laughs> yeah. And cats seem kind of clean, less stinky. Okay. Fair. <laughs> and your favorite skateboarder of all time? Huh. 
favorite skateboarder of all time? Hmm. Hmm. Fuck, that's another tough question. I'm sorry. I'm I know, so I'm throwing a lot of tough questions at you, Chris. <laughs> I know, man. These are the, the, the quick questions are the ones that are costing me the most because it makes me choose between so many things I love. But I guess like Jamie Thomas was a skater that really blew me away in my teens. He uh, is the owner of Zero and a bunch of other brands. He's a little bit older now. But uh, – yeah, he was like the first skater that was going crazy on like jumping huge set of stairs and handrails and just going crazy on street skating. And when I saw his part on Welcome to Hell, I was like, holy shit, like I want to do that. So it just made me want to throw myself off a bunch of stairs and hurt myself really bad. So <laughs> that's how much I loved him, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, mine was probably Rodney Mullen, but knowing that I'd never get to his level probably made me uh, a bit of an unrealistic starter, starting point, well, but sure, look. He's got such an interesting style, you know, because he mixes, uh, you know, the freestyle style of skateboarding with street, which is something that now kind of is becoming a thing, but he's pretty much the only one who was doing that for a while. Uh, I guess his personality is just kind of annoying to me because like I'm, I'm a nerd and I'm down with nerds, but he's just mm. so nerdy. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a little bit too much. You know, I like my skaters kind of cool, <laughs> but yeah, he's yeah. a great skater. That's for sure. <laughs> And lastly, Chris, this is the, if you think the previous questions are tough, this one tends to be the toughest for oh, guests no. to answer. So <laughs> describe yourself in three words. Uh, I am nice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that makes the cut, but I am nice. I can wrap myself yeah, up in no, that. That's a good way to put it. So. Chris, that more or less wraps it up from my end. So it just goes without saying. Thanks, obviously, for taking your time out. The alarm was suggesting we would start at a later date, but thanks for taking an early notice. And you were very open and honest about your work, the industry and all that. So it was a very insightful chat. And I can only wish you all the best. I know maybe strange times we're living in in the world, um, both pre, during and post COVID-19 and all that. But I hope you uh, stay safe, your family. And I wish you all the best with your work going forward as well. I'll be keeping a keen eye on us, no doubt. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. No no problem at all answering questions. It's always, uh, you know, a good time talking about these things, especially since I don't have anybody my age to talk to here. I live with my parents, so we don't really talk art. And, yeah, yeah it's interesting times. They don't ne really have to be negative. You know, we can perceive them as negative, and there's certainly many negative aspects about them, but there's also a ton of positive aspects about them and lots of positive possibilities. The world was already so negative, so we needed something to kind of recalibrate a lot of equations and I don't know we're not there yet it's only being a couple months and I don't think the process is over I think a lot of other things are going to happen maybe triggered by this uh, virus uh, situation or maybe the virus situation will keep on transmuting into some other situation but the world is changing and we're seeing it and it's kind of scary because we like our comfort and there's a lot of good things about it but 
we just couldn't go on into a world that was just had so much negativity and sadness and, and there was just too much injustice and the, just the, on the environmental tip the planet was just like come on dudes like you know you really want to kill yourselves out of this beautiful paradise we've given you so I see it as a very positive, good thing happening. As much as it's challenging and annoying and, and etc., we know what it is. Um, I'm very optimistic, and I think a lot of good things will come from it. So I just stay in the place of gratitude, and you know, I'm happy about it. <laughs> well, listen, Chris, thanks a million for coming on again, and listen, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much, Richie. Have a blessed one. <laughs>